Okay, ready? Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Today, our guest is Eric Quill, the head coach of North Texas SC, the new USL League One team from FC Dallas. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks for having me. All right, before we talk about North Texas XFC, let's talk about you a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. You played nine seasons in Major League Soccer, mostly for Tampa Bay Mutiny and Kansas City Wizards, but you had a stint with the Burn and a stint with the Metro Stars. You played 143 regular season games with 12 goals and 31 assists, mostly as a wing, wide, mid, or forward. But before you did all that, according to my research, you had an offer to play with IX of Amsterdam. So how did that come about, and why did you choose to go through the college route at Clemson instead? Well, to clarify, it wasn't a, a contract offer. It was So when I was 16, I went over to, to France with, as a guest player with a team from California, um, and we played in a tournament, if I'm, my memory serves me correct, it was like something De Corby, but it had, you know, Ajax was a team in it, uh, Leeds United, a bunch of teams from all around Europe played in the tournament. We were the lone American team. And uh, at age 60, I was the player of the tournament. And so Ajax uh, came to the coach of the California team and asked me about me. They tracked down my parents and said they'd love for me to, to come to Ajax and, and, you know, on trial sort of in, for their youth, in their youth program. A lot like what Johnny O'Brien did. He mm-hmm. actually went there and sure. stuck. And so um, it's just that my parents weren't really familiar with the game and the structure of the game and where my talent level was going to take me and mm-hmm. they, they were from the Midwest from North, or from Minnesota and Illinois and they're baseball, basketball type parents and wanted me close to home so I think it kind of scared them and so they shot it down pretty quickly so um, came back and did the American route. Why Clemson? Uh, the, my club coach growing up was a Clemson grad, played at Clemson, so I always had that sort of, that school um, in my head as a kid growing up as a top school. Uh, and then, you know, as offers started to come through, you know, uh, Indiana, North Carolina, Clemson, you know, I, I basically went on, you know, you, back then you took your official visits mm-hmm. um, and you made your decision off your five visits. A lot changed, obviously very different these days. Yeah. Um, so going to Clemson and visiting and seeing their soccer stadium, which was for me the best in the country, or at least from what I visited and saw and researched, um, coach was Trevor Adair. So we, Trevor Adair was the assistant with the U20s, mm-hmm. and that's how he and I got connected. And, and um, we, we had a great relationship with, with the 20s, and I felt comfortable with them, and I felt comfortable with the school. And so I felt, I mean, it was, uh, it came down to them and UNC, and I just felt more comfortable with, you know, a lot more, of the facets of Clemson offered. This is all in the days before MLS even existed, really. So w- was it hard to picture for your family and for yourself even that professional soccer was a viable career at that point in time? Yeah. No, I, mean, my, I think if you were to ask my parents like, to guess what my favorite sport was, even my senior year, they would have probably guessed basketball one, uh, soccer two, baseball three. Um, I was recruited for all three. So I think it just, I think in their, they thought that I was going the basketball route. I think they, their minds were made up. And, um, and so when, this, when I got called in the 20s is when things ch- changed. Um, yeah. So it really, and that was my senior year of high school. So, you know, again, it just took a whirlwind effect. And, and my parents at some point realized that, you know, this is, my passion was taking me through soccer. And 
Um, I felt my, the longevity of me being able to play at a high level in a professional soccer, my profile was more of a, of a soccer player than it was a, a long-term basketball player. Yeah, not being six foot seven. <laughs> right. Yeah. And not, to be honest, I wasn't a great of a shooter. I mean, I was, I was a streaky shooter. I wasn't a consistent shooter, so I kind of, I solved my limitations. Well, it's, again, this just shows, again, athletes are athletes, though, if you were being recruited at all to play basketball, you know, and soccer and everything else, you know. Um, so you signed uh, after, if I understand it correctly, one year at Clemson, you signed in the Nike Project, Project 40 program, which is the forerunner for Generation Adidas. Uh, what was it about that opportunity or that moment and coming out even after your freshman year? What made you decide to forego the rest of your college and take that offer? Uh, number one was I, wanted to, I was ready to play every day of my life. I was not get, getting tired of the game in the least. I wanted to just, the ball was what I, you know, I was infatuated with it. And I felt like college wasn't going to allow me to sort of develop as fast as I wanted to and, and get that everyday environment. Um, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations in NCAA as to yeah. how much you can train. And, and I just didn't want that. I, I knew that uh, how much I wanted to be a part of the everyday environment. And, uh, and, you know, they came to the U-20s and basically scouted us for these Project 40 contracts. And, and, and it just was, a, it, for me, it was the right time and the right age. And it was, they had a good vision as for, as for what, you know, our, our progress and our pathway was going to look like. And so I, I bought in and told my parents, I said, I'll go back at some point, get my degree, which I did later on. And so. Uh, in the early days of MLS, a lot of people probably don't know that players were allocated to teams. They were assigned to teams. And you were actually allocated as essentially coming out of your freshman year of college was that was that an extra pressure on you being this having this branded allocation on your shoulders I, don't, I think I was maybe too young and naive to realize what allocation meant and well I just just I was of the mindset get, show me where the where, where I need to live and where you know yeah I'm ready to get going no matter where it was so playing for the mutiny I have to ask you what was it like being around Carlos Valderrama playing with him um, it was amazing. I mean, you you sort of take it for granted. You don't realize how good a guy was until now. You're at this age, and you still see um, you see the game in the modern day, and you see the qualities that that man possessed. And he was uh, one of a kind. I don't think you'll see a one like him. Um, I don't think you have. I mean, I think maybe some people have have certain characteristics that you could you could assimilate. But overall, he was uh, he was the best. I mean, he just controlled the tempo of every game, every practice. If you were ever up in a game, all you did was find him. I mean, he was literally the, he was the focal point. Yeah. Know? All of that from the center circle, too. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, is that when you first crossed paths with Marco Ferruzzi? Were you there at the same time as him? Did you, was we he were. a team many years? He were, we were. Marco was a, you know, great, you know, great guy for me because as a young kid coming in, um, being very young compared to those those days, those rosters were, were old, a lot older than they were today. Yeah. Um, you know, majority of your starting lineups were in their 30s and late 20s. Um, so uh, there was a pretty pretty big age gap from me to other players. And so Marco was one of those players that sort of took me under his wing and treated me right and showed me the, the ropes. And so I was appreciative of that. And Marco, he's, he's, he doesn't change today. He's still a fantastic person. You're the only person I know of that was at a club that was contracted or at least when that process was happening. What was it like as a player uh, in that era when Tampa Bay and Miami were, I mean, you weren't in Miami, you were in Tampa, but what was it like being sort of under that umbrella when you were there as a player? It was weird. I mean, you kind of felt, it makes you uneasy as to where the league's going when you, when you hear contraction and, mm -hmm. um, you know, where am I going to have a job after this? Is, are people going to want me and kind of deal? And uh, so 
I realized why it had to happen, uh, but it was definitely it was an uneasy time, and you're wondering about how how much the league can survive of when you're going through those situations. So I think you just learned you, you don't take any day for granted. You want to just enjoy what you do and play to the fullest every every second you get. So after the contraction, you were selected by Kansas City, the Wizards at the time. Uh, and then you had a few injuries, and then you had a, a pretty solid 2003, and then you were traded to the Dallas Burn uh, for the 2004 season. So you missed Southlake, but got to enjoy the Cotton Bowl and the return to the Cotton Bowl under Colin Clark as they tried to rebuild that program from the Southlake debacle. Uh, what was it like playing for Clark? What was he like as a coach? He was a good man manager. I mean, he, well, he and obviously he's World Cup vet, and he, he had a lot of knowledge of the game, so I felt like between his his tactical content and what he what he brought and his the, the personal he was, um, I enjoyed playing for Colin. I thought he had a, he had a really good way about him with the players. And um, unfortunately, I ran into the injury bug as and, and and as we all well players know that that consistency in the in the training room and not in the field um, wears on you psychologically. Um, so it was unfortunate that I, it started to go that that downward spike um, that second year here in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, so after 2005, you went, basically ended your career. Was that was the injuries a big factor in that? Yes. At the time? Yeah. My I was battling chronic calf and, and hamstring tears and, and strains, and I just I couldn't get out of the training the training room for any long period of time, and so I felt like it was uh, one of those deals where, and, and the league was it was in a transition phase of getting younger younger kids and younger faces in the, in the locker room, and and you sort of. You kind of saw the writing on the wall, and for me, it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, I, I came to a realization that moving on was the time, and you know, and I was only 27, 28, um, so in a lot of people's minds, and even my own mind, it was early. I could have maybe, maybe if you played the what if game, I had three or four more years if I just, you know, get myself. If healthy. you could have stayed healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were a player that was. Uh, a lot of your assets had to do with your athleticism and your pace, you know, getting behind that kind of thing. So I can imagine that the hamstrings and calves was a big, I mean, and you guys didn't quite have the training staffs and medicals and, and, and recovery guys that the teams have now. It's a really different world, isn't it? No, science has changed. I mean, what I see today is these guys are well taken care of and, mod and monitored. And, um, you know, I think the guys, staff did the best they could, but it was the old, you know, you ran on the eye test. You know, do you look tired? Okay, let's. Get, but you, <laughs> a lot of the we're not, we didn't wear heart rate monitors and GPS trackers. And GPS trackers, yeah. and so th you can see why the, the injuries have cut down today. All right. So in 2007, you started coaching the University of Women's University of Houston's. Excuse me, I can talk well. Women's team, presumably while you were studying for your degree in health and psychology from the University of Houston. What led you to be a coach? Did you always want to be a coach? I did. I always told my parents. You know, well into my junior high and high school, that I was, was going to be a professional athlete. And I was going to coach after, so that was never a, a question as to what what did life have in store for me after that I was done playing. I knew what I wanted to get into. Didn't know quite how what at what level and what it would be, um, but I knew you know after New York, I moved back to Houston and was in need of a job, and and just so happened the assistant coach of the University of Women's program was available and said you know all right, let's give it a go and. So took took a job. I know MLS or maybe it's the union sometimes sets up coaching courses for players while they're active. Did you take advantage of that and work on your licenses before you while you were still a player, or did you wait till you were? No, finished? they didn't. They didn't really. If they were doing that, it wasn't really 
shown to us or educated. We didn't we weren't mm. educated on on any of that if it, if it was available to us. So I, did, I didn't do my licenses until after I was done. Playing. Yeah, I, I remember specifically Chad Deering doing some and taking some courses while he was still a player here. So maybe that was a program that developed a little later. I don't or know. He, he he took it upon himself to seek it out, and that's probably what I should have done. I just didn't, you know. Well, I, think I, I didn't know when I was leaving. The game, <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Um, I didn't look into it. All right, how'd you get involved with the Houston Texans then from U of H? So I grew up playing for the Texans. I, I'm, I, uh, it was a club. I didn't grow Well, let me say that again. I, I came over to the Texans when I was 16, and we won a national championship uh, back when it was the Snickers U.S. Well, I can't remember the acronym. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, we won a national championship at U16, and that's when I was sort of being called in. The, all that being called in the national team, that was 1994. So I grew up sort of playing for the Texans, and... You know, funny how it came full circle at some point. Um, the academy was established, and a buddy of mine who was running the Texans, a vacancy came um, in the academy and called me um, and asked me if I'd be wanting, willing to coach at the highest level of youth, and I, that's where I wanted to go next, so I took it. Now, you've had some experience coaching for some, as an assistant for some of the U.S. youth national teams, too. How did that uh, experience sort of affect you as a coach? Well, it affects me in a great way. I mean, you're talking about um, working with great coaches um, and under a great structure of like U.S. soccer and working with the best players. So it was it was a, an honor to be um, chosen to, to assist Dave Vandenberg. Um, Dave, you know, certain people in your life allow you to connect to, you know, different levels of your career. And Dave was able to see something in me and, and took a chance on me coming on his staff. And I was I mean, I'm still today very grateful to Dave um, because it was a great education being a part of those age groups. Do you have a coaching mentor? Who's the biggest influence on you as a coach? I think if I did, if you just you know told me you know pick the first person that comes to mind as a coach that I you know Roy Reese who I played for growing up at the Texans was one that was really impactful in my in my development um, and I he very honest uh, with me and transparent and and hard uh, because he saw something in me. And knew how to, you know, motivate me and press my buttons to, to push me to the next level. So I don't think without Roy, I don't think I'm here today. Uh, I think my I probably maybe I haven't played basketball. I don't know, um, but Roy was able to to really get through to me and change a lot of my my training habits, my effectiveness and efficiency into the game. So I'm you know, but I played for some great ones. I mean Bob Gansler, Bob Bradley. I mean, it, that's when you're a vagabond of the league, you get to play for a lot of coaches. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> journeyman. Yeah. Uh, now, at some point, you developed a relationship with FC Dallas, either Lucci or Chris Hayden, perhaps. That obviously is a relationship that led to Chris Richards and Chris Kappas coming here. What was the sort of the genesis for that relationship? How did that informal familiarity with FC Dallas come about while you were coaching Texans? Well, so when I, get, when I came to the Texans in the academy, I got to see firsthand, learn the landscape of the DA, uh, and, and FC Dallas was in our conference, and every time we would play them, I mean, you could just the, the the talent was evident, but just their style of play, their 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 culture, which they they showed up to the field with, and and they just they were another level that that I wasn't used to seeing. And and between any of the conference conference opponents, I really believed in what they were doing and how they were doing it. And so I knew Lucci from the name from playing in the, in the league. I didn't know Chris, but you know, as years go on, you coach against guys and you see sort of things evolve. Um, I always had a fondness for what they did and believed in it. So I was trying to, you know, in my own way, how do I bring sort of that, what they do to Houston and try in my own little way, be a, sort of emulate what they, what they were trying to build here. 
Now, there's a story that's been told famously that FC Dallas cut Chris Richards or did not take him after a trial. Famously, specifically, Lucci did not choose to keep him, and you did. And I believe I'd read that you just took him almost sight unseen. But what did you see in Chris when he joined your club that, you, that made, you, made him stand out to you at that really young age? Well, he came in as a gang, so I had him come on like a two-day trial with our, with our U19 team, and uh, he came in the door as an indoor facility. He came, you know, wobbly in need, and you could see this, like, big head on small shoulders, and, you know, just you could see the body wasn't developed yet. And so as he's walking up, I had my reservations as to how this was going to go, and then so we broke out into, like, you know, a 7v7 game, and, and you see him move, and you see him sort of feel the game out, and you're like, okay, and then he goes up for a aerial duel and he's you know six inches above the, the guy he's going up with and you're like okay the kid can jump and then he what he did to me what really stood out was he was he had really unbelievable disguise of his passing you know he could and that's a high level attribute in, from a from a center back is that guy that can hide what he's doing what he's doing and fire across fire through lines efficiently and, and accurately and he had it, and, I, and that's when I went up to him. I said, "Did you play basketball?" Because most basketball players have that ability because it's, similar, it's a similar characteristic. You have to get open shooters a look. You got to hide when you're passing to them, so they get when that guy can't close them out quick enough, right? So yeah. He uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm a point guard. I was point guard back in Alabama." And I said, "Well, it shows because and that's where I really saw like this kid's got something from the back. You saw the athleticism. You saw the you know his his vertical late leap." He read the game really well. He knew when to drop off, knew when to step to people on their back. So he had a, he had a good foundation of tactics to him. Um, and so I was just like, man, the only thing this guy's lacking is just develop. He just, just hasn't developed. Grow into his body. Grow yeah. his body. So you mean sort of like he doesn't have a big wind-up. He's not telegraphing his pass. It's like a quick little ping, and then the ball's going 50 yeah, yards. Yeah, his in-step in pass was perfect, but he did have a long wind-up. When, when you put him on a big field, his 40-yard yeah. his, his to 50-yard ball, he did have a long wind-up, which we, he and I worked on. Um, because I told him just like a jump shooter, if I'm five foot ten and a six foot four guard's guarding me, yeah, I gotta have a quick release. If I'm having this big long ball's gonna be sent back the other way, and so in order for forwards not to be you know nicking his long balls away and, and deflecting them, he's got to be able to trap it and release the quick, release the, the long ball quicker. So it was, he did have a long release when it came to the, the long pass. Well, anyone that listens to our podcast or reads our work knows that I'm a early early buyer in on the Chris Capus bandwagon. I'm a huge fan of that kid, immensely talented. How early was he with your program, and how, how long did he develop with you guys before he came to FC Dallas? So I started with Christian at U14 when he was a U14. Um, so I had four years with him, and he was, uh, you know, another another gangly kid at the, in those years. But you saw you saw the potential because he had just really tidy feet. He had a great soccer brain on him. He had a relentless mentality of. of just work rate and endurance. Um, he wanted it. He was a kid that just stayed after practice every day, did extra stuff. When his dad's saying, let's go home, they got one of those kids that we don't have, you know, set up like this. It's you come in the evenings and train and mom and dad are ready to go home, you go home. And so he's, but he had, he just had an unbelievable will to be great. Uh, and he just needed, again, to grow into his body physically and get those. And so we did some playing, he played him. He was starting my pre-academy group and we started to play him up in age group mm-hmm. um, because he started to look like that was the, the, the route he needed to take, and so he did. You know, it was, I think it was good for him to to play up an age group for a couple of years. 
Yeah, his his uh, will and his ability to stamp it on the game and control the game really, to me, stands out watching him play in the Dallas Cup and, and things like that. He's an exciting, exciting player. So the story has also been told before that you decided at some point that it would be better for R- Richards and Kappas to come to FC Dallas. What was it about FC Dallas that you thought was specifically benefit them that you couldn't felt you could obviously must have felt you weren't or couldn't provide at Texans? I started to see a separation, a real big gap between those two players and what we everybody else. And when you see that, um, you start to say, "What's this? These two kids have star power, and what can I realistically offer this kid now?" Uh, and I felt it would have been uh, really um, what am I looking for? Um, it would not have been in their best interest to keep them around another year. I felt like they both, yes, could play college soccer, but they were they were both, of, in my opinion, um, could could skip that level and be and start tomorrow somewhere. That's why that's truly how I felt about them. And so, I, I there was never a question of where where do I send them. I said these these guys were you send them to the best, and FC Dallas for me was the best. It was most I was most familiar with them as a staff. This is an organization, so it was a very easy phone call to me to to make to to Lucci to saying you know we'd seen we were at the national championship together. They were playing the 17s national championship and we were playing the 19s and I just told them before, I said, you need to watch these two kids. They need to be yours after this game, you know? Wow. So. Um, Had you mentioned it to Chris, Chris and Chris before that? I don't, I can't, I don't know if, it mentioned, if I mentioned it to Chris or if it was after, but I mentioned it to Lucci first yeah. um, while we were there in, in California. Um, let's talk about North Texas. When did uh, FC Dallas approach you and what appealed to you about this gig um they, so i guess it was december maybe or january um that lucci i guess right at right the time lucci got the job the first team job here um i called him to congratulate him and he said it's funny you called i was going to talk to you about uh, a job opening um would you be interested in talking coming to dallas and, and interviewing i said sure so i started talking and then he, uh, chris had reached out to me, so we started that sort of process and uh, wanted to hear more about it. And so it was for me, uh, you know, they said they wanted to put a candidate list of three three names. Um, I guess Dan and, and Marco and, and ownership wanted a list of three names that they felt um, comfortable with. And so I was one of those three, which I was honored to be. Came in, interviewed, and, and I knew after walking in and, and after the two hours spending here, um, I knew that this is where I wanted to be. I was hopeful that I would get it. I didn't know if I, if I would. So uh, prayed about it, was, and uh, God answered my prayers. And I think this is the right time for me. I was ready for the next step in my career. Um, so, and I've always felt comfortable with Chris and Lucci, so I knew what I was getting from, from colleagues. And, and you know, So I felt comfortable there. But when you're in these walls and you start to see the infrastructure, how it goes on here and the people you meet, mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes very clear why they are what they are. So I was, I wanted to be a part of it. Was it always your goal to be a professional coach? Not, yeah. Not a youth coach at some point? Yeah, that was the ultimate goal. I think when you give yourself goals as, as players and as, as anybody in life, you're, you're trying to strive for something more. Um, didn't know, you never know if you're going to get there, but that's, that's what gets you out of bed is, is not having something, um, eye on the prize. And, and then again, I'll, I think 
we go through these moments of, am I, am I meant to go to the next level? Or am I, is this where I'm hap- most happy? I think some guys are really most happy being a youth coach and mm-hmm. coaching a certain age group that they feel comfortable with. So I think we're all different in, in where we feel our niche is. But I always felt like um, professional soccer coaching is where I wanted to go and where I felt like I could, I could really offer you know, my expertise and my, my personality and my, my knowledge of the game. So we're less than a week to your opening game, and you have, I think, 10 players signed to your roster. We've talked a lot on our podcasts and our, and our articles about there's going to be a, a mix of players coming down from MLS and, and Academy kids coming up. Are you at where you're going to be in terms of signings, or should we expect some signings this week leading up to your opening game from some of the trials you still have around? There may be some signings. I mean, we're not, we're not it's not a done deal where we are right now at the moment. So it's something we're discussing. Um, we've got a large pool of players uh, that obviously we got guys that have been with us the whole preseason and, and you know academy players so there's a, a wide ar- array of, of talent that we're choosing from to fill this roster out so um, but you, know, you can maybe expect some other signings. Will there be any mix of sort of short-term signings? Would you ever be like hey I'm gonna use you for like couple of games or maybe like or is, is it all like in for penny and for pound no there's there's a purpose to anybody we sign um it, there's about i mean there's a there's a reason we're not going to sign guys for for a couple of weeks of a, of a season we want we want there to be a, a plan for these guys that we sign and and then to have a feel comfortable in their place with the club and know that there's they they're, they're not worrying about their job week to week it's they're, they're being picked for a reason yeah We've talked a lot about um, you know players coming down from MLS and that that kind of thing. Just in general terms, how how many players do you expect to see come down on any given week? Are we talking about one or two? Should we expect like anyone not in the 18 is going to be down playing with you? How, how aggressive is that process going to be? Uh, there's to be honest, but there's so many variables to it. I mean, with all the national, you got international call-ups, you got youth national, you know, U20 World Cup. So the variables at play are are really heavy, and so. It could be one or two. It could be four or five um, week to week. So you just, we'll have to. We we have the the targeted dates and where you know these um, these can come to play. Um, so we're we're working together, Lucina and myself, and Chris and Marco and everybody and Andre and and, uh, and, and our you staff. can fill from the academy as well. And we can fill from the academy as well. So it's a it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, it's I guess if you're looking. It, it, the fact that it could be different every week is, is maybe to some people it'd be offsetting, but for me, um, I look at it as a benefit. And more, and we've had all all these faces in our training yeah. environment at some point, and so everybody's comfortable with each other. So you're going to be constructing an 18-man squad every week out of in lots of variables and lots of different pieces mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, okay, so you've had a number of trialists come through, a lot of them local kids. Who is the most... Uh, out of nowhere, I can't believe we found this guy. Uh, he's going to be an asset of, of the guys that you signed, or, or might might be going to sign. Anybody that really just was like out of nowhere surprising? I w- I'd say they all. I mean, all of the ones that are still here are the ones are have in their own way surprised me. Um, so I wouldn't say one sticks out among anybody else. I just say every, all of them that are still here have brought something incredible to what our environment is and what the culture of, that's been created in FC Dallas walls. They've, you know, most of them been a part of the organization, whether it be in the academy at some point. But they've they've brought a hunger and they've brought a, a real um, humbleness to their work, and they're selfless. And so these guys have grinded for two months. Um, 
and they're just uh, they're amazing people and you can see that they want to be a part of it and and uh, when you see those kind of things when you see kids train that hard and they're that selfless uh, you, you're you become fans of them and I've just become a fan of every every one of these trialists I, I think they're great is this kind of trial and scouting process going to be continuing like during the season is it is it going to be an ongoing process for you guys well we're real we we're honest with them and, and they know that you know where they where they are so if they were if some of these guys were to get a you know if an agent or if somebody was to reach out and say we'd like to take a look at you on trial somewhere else where if we haven't told them their plan what their plan is for us we want we don't want to stand in their way kind of deal so we're they uh they're training and being sharp with us there may be a situation where we sign one of them you know because of whatever need that becomes available if a guy gets hurt you know there's again going back to the variables and so they're sharp, but again, they're sharp if somebody else comes calling them too, versus you know them going away because we didn't have anything to offer them at that moment. So I think they understand like you know my shot can come anytime, um, mm -hmm. and everybody's pathway is different, everybody's timing is different. So I think they're they're hopeful. Well, some of them will be kept around, maybe as long-term practice they'll, they'll players. They'll be kept around. I mean, we love we love them to stay around uh, yeah. in, until they don't want to be around. Yeah. And so. Uh, I get excited um, by watching some of these 15, 16-year-old kids sign and come in your peppies and your david rodriguez's and stuff is it is it get you fired up working with kids like that it does it, does, it really i mean it's it makes brings you into this youthful phase of your life where you, you they, they play strictly for the fun of the game and it comes out every training session um their talent is is off the charts it's it's it comes at you each day in some different form where you you think you can't be wild anymore and you are um, so those moments are obviously as a coach are incredible and, and that's what we we love to see that's why we're out there is we want these get, these kids to take chances and, and to step out and, and improve each day whether it's in a decision making whether it's in their their leadership skills whatever, whatever it is we, we want to see growth in these players and you, with Pepe and David you're seeing incredible growth growth from day to day week to week with these guys over the last two months and I think I mean if anybody's in form right now you see Pepe after you know the last few games, he's he's in great form, and I think he's so anxious for the season to start. He wants he just yeah. he's dying to get on the field. Me too. <laughs> uh, I've been really impressed with Alfusini Jata. I think I said that right. Uh, how in the world did you find this guys find that guy? I, this is I mean again, Lucci was involved in this process. Lucci and Chris before I got here, so he was one that was targeted um, and brought here through their scouting and, and network of, of people. So. It was a pleasant surprise for me that he was there. I mean, I've, I love the guy to death. I think every, I mean, he's he's a star. He's got star power. Yeah. And he's a, yeah. He's a relentless worker. Um, he's a humble kid. So I think he's, he's got a, he's got a really high ceiling. You've got uh, Michelle Garbini, who now that he's a coach, they've given him a last name. <laughs> he didn't have one when he was a player. <laughs> and uh, Alex Aldo's on your staff. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how your staff is set up? What roles those guys uh, fill for you? Yeah, so Michelle is our, our my full-time assistant, and he's got an incredible playing background, and you can see, I mean, he's, he's going to be a great coach. Um, he cares immensely for the organization and for the players that play here. Uh, he's, you can tell he loves it. He's got a wealth of knowledge. He's helped me tremendously. Uh, and like I said, I, I told those guys, it's about their growth as well. So I want them to have a, a lot of autonomy. In, in sessions and, and creating sessions and then stepping into sessions and stopping them and, and feeling like if they see something out of place that they know that they can they have the freedom to to step out and, and be and to make those 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 changes and be a coach and 
because it is their growth as well. I don't want them, I don't want guys, I want to be challenged. I want guys, when we get in the office together, that challenge me with ideas and that bring fresh ideas to the, to the forefront because I want to grow as well. So it's just a, it's a good collaboration between, um, we have Artie, who's our sports performance um, coach, and we have Alex, who's um, obviously the 15s head coach mm -hmm. and assistant with me. So he's, I mean, he's, He's giving his his life to both these these teams, and I mean he's here from morning till night, so he's working, you know, tirelessly. And I really appreciate. I mean, Alex brings something really dynamic to the staff as well, um, from his time as an assistant with SMU and being at Florida Gulf Coast. He's just he's an excellent assistant and somebody that will be a good great head coach. And he's obviously head coaching our 15s, but I think he's one that's going to grow into something, you know, as years go. But I feel I mean our staff gets along really really well. Uh, I couldn't ask for, for better people, better human beings to be working with. So far, from the scrimmages I've watched, you guys are using the 4-3-3, very similar to the, from the first team. How much of that is a organizational downflow? Because I even see it in the academy, too. Uh, different versions, but basically kind of the same. Is that is that a style you wanted to play anyway, or is that uh, part of that, like a cohesiveness of the first team to the second team? No, it's, it's part of the pro yeah, we want we want everybody to, to, you know, with the professional team of the Apex, you want everybody to play that way, so the profiles are being built accordingly. Um, that's, I'm comfortable, that's how I was playing back where I, where I came from, so, um, but it's, it's meant to, in this organization, to make sure every player is, is understanding of the tactics and the formation in which we play. So with the movement that happens between academy, second team, second team, first team, mm -hmm. first team, back to second team, that there's a real comfortableness understanding of how, how we play. Yeah, I would think if you're going to have that kind of integration, you would need an understanding of a similar sort of concept. Um, have you seen the North Texas kits yet? Do you know what they look like? I have not. I have not even seen them. I, like I've been asking, can we wear them for this this friendly game? Can we can we break them out? I'm, I'm, I'm it's been two months. I'm, I'm tired of seeing the training gear in the, in the on the weekend. So yeah, I'm ready to see the, the kits. Me too. I'm, we're big into kits, so I'm, I hope it's good. We even did a, a thing where we made up some. I had four different people come up with designs, and we all came up with the same design, which was the playoff of the the sash look, like a River Plate style sash look, and everyone had the same concept. So we're all crossing our fingers because that, that's a pretty good concept. That's kits are good. fun. I, I mean, I don't know how much players care about kits, but I think it's important. It, I mean, it doesn't stop from when you're playing U5 and you get your first uniform. It doesn't stop till your till your career's over. That's one of the best parts is what's the new uniform look like. So yeah, that's it. That doesn't matter how old you are, you still love that day. So how exactly um, does it work with academy kids coming up to play with you? I, I, I know there's not a contract, but um, there must be something that they have to do or sign or, or to say that I'm an amateur, I'm playing, so I'm not losing my college eligibility. Amateur contracts is, I mean. Is that what we call it, amateur contract? It's sort of a statement that I'm playing for free, yeah. essentially. Um, are there anybody with the academy that we should expect to see? Do you, do you want to name some names of some guys that you, we might see come up a little bit, or is that uh, presumptuous? Well, we've had, we've had a good, I mean, I'd say, I can't, the number off the top of my head, but I'd say 10 to 12 players that have been in our youth. That many? Our, our, yeah, our, yeah, our second team environment, even a couple of U17 academy players. So mm. it wouldn't be far-fetched to you know, have a few of those kids at some point in the season. I have a list if you like. If you want, <laughs> <laughs> take my list. <laughs> uh, we don't have them set yet, but there's there's the names that um, I'm sure that you know, and and you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a wealth of, of talent. So I've been referring to North Texas as in effect a U23 team. Is that a fair sort of take a developmental squad kind of take, or is that is that too 
narrow-minded. No, I mean, it's fair. Um, will there be a guy that may be over 23? Yes. I mean, from time to time, will there be a guy? I mean, will there be a lot of 16-year-olds, I mean, 17, 18? Yes. Yeah. So you could almost go younger and say, I mean, if you're airing, if it's only like one or two guys over the age of 23, the majority is going to be even younger. Even younger. So. so is that is that a problem? Not a problem. Is that something you have to take into account? I mean, when you're playing this league you're playing in, most of the other teams are not going to be like that. Most of the other teams are going to have guys that are in the, what you would call the prime window of their career. So that obviously is a consideration, I would think, in terms of tactics and management and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's the purpose of what we're doing is if we want these kids to be playing with men. And so they, they need to grow up fast, and they will grow up fast when that first tackle comes through and when that first aerial duel goes, you know, elbow goes in, the, in their ear. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to grow up really fast because those are the psychological pieces in which you can't, when you're playing in your own age group and you're having so much success, how much are you grasping? So I think when that you really grasp a lot when you're playing, you can't do the things, you, your go-to moves or your go-to situations that you, you solve problems with. You're gonna have to come up with multiple, multiple solutions for these kids in mm -hmm. the game. And that's where their true, true growth is gonna come from. I mean, in a way, you're gonna have to teach a lot of these kids how to be professionals, mm -hmm. right? I mean, even the kids that are a little bit older have not been professionals. I mean, that's. That's got to be as much of a job for you as it is just training them, I That's would think. That's the job of us as a staff, is for us to pay really close attention to, to detail um, and know the psyche of our players. And if you're great coaches, you understand, like, you know what David's personality is, and you know if he's feeling like he's not right, you can pull him aside, hey, you're okay, what's going on kind of deal, and let's, you, you show him video, you work with him after practice. There's, Everybody's going to have a different individual plan as to what they need to get to the next level. So it's that constant conversation and constant um, being around them and managing them uh, when through the ups and downs because it's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of downs, no, no kidding. I mean, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of growth that happens and growth happens in a lot of failures. So it's going to be our job to pick them up and, and hug them and, and let them know like this is, you know, it's okay. This is what it's about. You're going to grow. Well, in there, you answered a question I had about uh, David Rodriguez. I had been calling him David. I was wondering whether it was David or David. So you said David. So I'm assuming it's David. I think I've probably said both David and David. <laughs> I called him David today, and now he didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I think within the walls now, you call, I'm learning every poppies and brokeys yeah. and stuff. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Musa is the other one for uh, Cisse. Muha. 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 Yeah. Muha. Yeah. yeah. Instead of Muhammad, um, or do you have an expectation for the season and performance-wise? Are you, you going to make a title run here? What should we expect? I mean, that's the goal. We, that's the goal. We tell each other every day is the goal is to win a championship. I mean, that, that's ultimately that's the ultimate team um, reflection, and that's the ultimate team. You know, you want your team to be striving for something. Now, individually, we're striving for something different. We're, we're all striving for different growth and, and where we, you know, what our needs are, where we need to go. So, it's a uh, you know, development is is the number one. Um, key of the season, but with development comes learning how to win. Uh, and we want these kids to learn how to win and not to, not lay down to anybody. And, and our culture is we want to impose our will on people. We don't ever fear anybody, and that won't have, that will never be the case. Doesn't matter what the age of our players are versus the age of theirs. Um, we walk on the field to win to win a game. Learning how to play without fear probably is one of the hardest things for young players to do. It certainly was my big failing. Not that I was even remotely good at all, but. That's always something I always try and stress with young players too. Is learning to play without fear. Yeah, it's, we tell them all the time. Self doubt can be really it can it can eat you up. And so um, those players that have too much self doubt, 
really find themselves going in a downward spiral. And so we have to be honest and transparent with them and, and what they need to overcome because you can help them along the way. You can tell them, you know, hey, you're doing things this way and this is, this is great, this is great. But you have to be also, you gotta be hard on them as well. And they're gonna have to realize that they have to grow up. They have, they have to get thick skin. They're gonna play for coaches that are they're gonna scream and yell at them. They're gonna play for, I mean, you know, there's different, um, different people need different things, but self-doubt is an insecurity. And, and we want, for me, I want guys that are not afraid to make mistakes. You know, I tell them all the time, I'm not going to yell at you for mistakes. I'm going to yell at you for the reaction to your mistake if it's not the right reaction. But take chances, take risk, think outside the box, creativity, all those things, do them in the right areas. But this is your, the game has presents itself with so many different solutions. There's no one right solution. There's a lot of them. So we want them to understand, like, don't be fearful. All right, your big season opener is this weekend. North Texas SC kicks off at on Saturday, March 30th at 6 p.m. against the Chattanooga Red Wolves. They have two local players, by the way, Connor Doyle and uh, Jose Soto. Doyle's a big striker out of the Dallas Texans, a club we're all familiar with around here. Uh, he went to McKinney Boyd in Creighton uh, and then played for people like Derby County, D.C. United, and a couple of teams like that. But he's a 28-year-old big, big body, a guy you'll have to mark up tightly, I imagine, a handful for your guys. And then Jose Soto, another local from Fort Worth, Came out of the Houston Dynamo Academy, of all things. Played at Campbell and SMU. So there's just two local guys that you can look for uh, as they play North Texas. So, Eric, FC Dallas is out of town. you got all the spotlight to yourself. What can fans expect to see in the stadium on Saturday from your team? You can expect to see uh, extremely high attacking mind soccer. Um, we want We want to go at them. We want... Uh, we have some really special players going forward, uh, so you can see, you can expect to see uh, a lot of great combination play, a lot of great 1v1 uh, duels in which kids are, have the freedom to go at people. Um, creativity, I think you're going to see a lot of kids on display that are playing freely. Um, and then you're going to see from a team, you're going to see a team that's hungry. We're going to, we're going to, we want to, we want to take, we want to come out and, on our front foot um, and impose our will. So. I think you're gonna, for the fans, to, to see 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kids, um, the future of the organization or beyond, it is gonna be really, if you love, if you love the young kids that have the projections of, of star, star power, you're gonna love to see this, this group. Fantastic, thanks for joining us thanks on the us. podcast, appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right, thanks to all the listeners for checking out this special Third Degree the Podcast edition with North Texas SC head coach, Eric Quill. Our normal FC Dallas podcast will be out later this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure and subscribe at your local podcast provider. And for more FC Dallas and North Texas SC content, you can read our work at thirddegree.net, Dallas Morning News, or follow us on Twitter at thirddegreenet and Instagram at thirddegreenet. Since you can trend there on those names. So long, and thanks for joining us on Third Degree, the podcast.